Today's episode is brought to you by our dedicated followers and listeners, as well as our supporters on our Buy Me A Coffee page. If you enjoy the show, please help support us by leaving a review a comment, following us on our Twitter, or sharing the show with your friends and family. And now, on to the show. Good evening, and welcome to Shadow Scrying, an official spin-off series from the Into the Night podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. In tonight's episode, we will continue to cover Tales from the Pizzaplex, book number two, Habs, moving on to the third novella within it, B7. While we have moved on from the Fazbear Fright series, we have yet abandoned the goosebump style of novellas. Fazbear Fright is notorious for its experimentation. Sometimes we get amazing stories like Count the Ways and Coming Home, but other times we also get Fazgoo or a man giving birth to a baby spring trap. <laughs> no, seriously, an actual Fazbear Fright story is about a game developer giving birth to a baby spring trap. It's really weird. I've mentioned before that the Tales books seem to follow a particular pattern. One ties directly to the series preexisting lore, the other ties in with the security breach and the pizza plex itself and the third is an experimental story reminiscent of the Fazbear Fright series. Now, that theory may have been disproven. I have just read through the third book that came out of the series, uh, Somnophobia, and I've yet to determine if this pattern has still remained consistent yet. But regardless, B7, if this pattern has hold still, is definitely the experimental of them all. And it's strangely a unique story, considering the fact that it doesn't involve Phasmid Entertainment or any aspect of the lore that much. It's more of a deep dive into the psyche of a boy who grows into adulthood while suffering a severe mental health crisis. Before we begin, I would like to warn everyone that this episode contains spoilers for Haps. For those who want to avoid spoilers and get the most out of this podcast, I highly recommend getting your hands on the book and reading it yourself. If you wish to have a non-spoiler discussion and my general thoughts on the book, you can find that in episode 20 of the Into Night podcast. Disclaimer as well. B7's story is free of many supernatural and fantastical elements you might be used to from Five Nights at Freddy's. It instead focuses on the decay of one's psyche and the consequences of continually destroying oneself, trying to make a non-reality a reality. It is absent of the usual dark humor or corporate defamatory slang to alleviate the tragedy. It is a depressing as hell story. So, needless to say, viewer discretion advised. A brief recap for those who need a refresher. Five-year-old Billy lives with his parents in Utah. Like all children his age, he is obsessed with Freddy Fazbear's Pizza and the cartoon show Freddy and Friends. He was enamored with the robots rather than the characters, who he knew were all fake. In front of his parents, Dan and Vera, he starts acting like an animatronic, dancing robotically and speaking with a monotone voice, mimicking what he perceived to be an animatronic that appeals to him, and his parents in turn humor him. Throughout the next week, and the week after, he keeps acting robotically, disturbing Billy's teachers and causing other children to avoid him. To get him to act like how he used to be, Billy's father tugged on his ears explaining that he was updating his software to act more childlike. His parents' concerns continued to grow as a result as he continued to rationalize being a robot to them. 
Dan and Vera believe the show frame of friends caused them to act this way, and they threaten to sue. Vera, his mother, is more supportive of Billy and takes him to a psychologist. Dan, his father, however, wants him institutionalized, but Vera believes that the phase will be over soon. After a few months of this charade, Dan gives up hope and leaves the family, saying that taking care of Billy and supporting this insanity was making his life a living hell. Despite his therapist's best efforts, Billy still behaves like an animatronic after another year, and he even continues to extend that belief to drinking motor oil. Additionally, he begins to sleep on a steel table and eat only white food. According to Billy, animatronics cannot digest color. And his therapist has convinced him to start eating food with olive oil as a replacement for motor oil. This all culminates to even when it comes to his birthday, he celebrates his creation day instead, the day in which he watched Freddy and Friends and realized he was a robot. Years later, now a young adult, still in the belief of being an animatronic and surviving through his mother's support alone, Billy discovers his mother had overdosed on sleeping pills and committed suicide in the bathroom. In a voice that is free of all emotion, Billy calls the police. As a small town, the police feel heartbroken for Vera, but they are all well aware of Billy. When a rookie officer tries to comfort him, an older officer pulls her aside, saying not to bother as Billy doesn't feel a thing. Billy's mental state continues to deteriorate as he begins to experience cognitive dissonance over the next year. Although he considers himself an animatronic, his sense of self prevents him from truly being one. As a result, he determines that he needs prosthetic limbs in order to fully become a robot. All the surgeons he contacts reject him, naturally, but he finds one on a shady website who lost his license for malpractice. Although the surgeon is happy to perform the operation, he tries his best to inform Billy of the consequences, that there will be no going back after the surgery begins. Billy is, however, insistent on continuing. While the surgery was a success, Billy now feels pain in his new limbs. He expected the prosthetics to make him faster and stronger, but instead he now feels weaker. He meets a woman named Malaya in a chat room with people who were also upset with their surgeries. Malaya believes she was ugly and wanted plastic surgery. They soon have a discussion and Malaya goes to meet him, believing it to be a date. And upon seeing Billy's condition, she begins to sympathize with his condition. Malaya and Billy soon become a couple, but he still wants more procedures done on him to make him more robotic. In addition to having metal plates attached to his face, his eyes have been dyed black and his tongue has now been removed. In addition, he requests to be referred to as B7 instead of Billy. Malaya sympathized with him when she thought he had been involved in an accident, then became infatuated with him because she wanted to show someone in so much pain some kindness and love in this cruel world. However, she is unable to watch someone she cares about twist their bodies so horrifically. Just like his father before, Malaya leaves Billy too. When B7 turned 21 years old, or his 16th creation day as he called it, he looked into the mirror, and he didn't like what he saw. In an instant, 16 years of an illusion crumbled under the weight of reality, 
He is tormented by the sudden realization that he is not an animatronic and that he had completely destroyed his life. He calls the surgeon to ask if the procedures can be undone, but the surgeon says there is nothing he can do and he had warned him the consequences of his actions. A day passes as Billy contemplates. He lies on the floor watching the shadows on the wall change as the sun across the sky and the moon rises. Eventually he gets in his car and drives to a junkyard crawling through a metal fence to get inside. He finds an old car and decides to sleep in it. When he wakes up, he finds the car is on a tread waiting to be crushed. He does not scream. He does not yell or cry for help. He instead decides to stay in the car. As the walls close in, pieces of metal pierce his skin and crush his bones. In spite of the excruciating pain, he felt glad, because the blood that now smeared the windows and covered his body reminded him of who he was. In his last moments, Billy feels like a human for the first time in 16 years. So, that was insanely depressing. Definitely not a happy tale. The Faster Fright series, and by association the Tales book at this point, have a reputation for their protagonist not making it out alive. In that way, B7 is no different, but its contrast comes from the degree of realism that is present in the horror. Fast Entertainment hasn't created a hypnotic spell through subliminal messaging. The story is of a confused boy with a broken psychosis. You're witnessing the unfolding of madness and are powerless to stop it from reaching its conclusion. B7 utilizes writing style I like to call continuous train wreck. Using a continuous train wreck style, the writer engages the reader by showing the chaos doesn't end after the first train wreck collision. Several trains are speeding down the rail line, all at different speeds, all causing the raging inferno to grow worse and worse. There will be more destruction on display soon, and as an observer, you cannot help but watch. A lot of the credit goes to Andrea Wagner, the writer of this particular story, and a FNAF writing veteran. She really did a great job of making the story of a person feeling inhuman rather… human. In particular when it comes to Billy's father, Dan. Dan is a great subversion of the uncaring father trope, as it is clear from the beginning of the story that he cares about his son and wife, even though he acknowledges that appealing to his delusion is very tiring. Seeing his son like this as wife playing along is genuinely painful to him. The father's decision to leave is was cowardly. He should have been there for his son, especially when his wife passed away. His recognition of pain, however, was also human, and he felt the institution was the best course of action for his son's betterment. As much as he did not want to abandon his responsibilities, when his wife prevented him from making the choices he believed were in his son's best interest, he felt he had no choice but to give up. Following the continual train wreck writing style, Billy's mother's decision not to pull on the last resort seals his fate. By now, at that point in the story, it's clear to everyone reading that Billy is in effect a ticking time bomb, in need of drastic aid in order to be recovered. After Dan exits the story, i.e. the first train wreck, it's obvious 
fate has worse plans for Vera, and Billy will go down a path of no return. If I were to sum up my thoughts and condense them into a YouTube thumbnail and title, I would say B7 is a perfect tragedy. Aristotle once wrote, quote, Tragedy then is an imitation of an action that is serious, complete, and of a certain magnitude. In the language embellished with each kind of artistic ornament, the several kinds being found in separate parts of the play. In the form of action, not of narrative, through pity and fear affecting the proper purgation, catharsis of these and similar emotions. End quote. His definition is compact, but no one can fully represent life, so an artist must choose his representation carefully. To put it simply, an author of a tragedy seeks to imitate the serious and dark side of life, just as an author of comedy seeks to imitate the superficial and bright side. It is self-contained. It requires no additional material in order to comprehend the beginning of the story, since if anything more is required, it will lead to an unsatisfactory conclusion. The conclusion of the tragedy, however, should not leave the impression that there are still actions to be taken, or there are anything related to the story that still needs to be addressed. Tragedy must be self-sufficient, and require close-knit unity and the removal of all superfluous and unnecessary elements. There must be a step-by-step -step progression in tragedy. Every scene, every character, and every line of dialogue must serve a purpose, more so than any other genre. There are five elements to a tragedy, technically six, but modern media has since combined two. Those elements are plot, character, thought, diction, and song-slash-spectacle. The plot is the most important of the tragedy, as it is the framework that arranges the incidents that leads to catastrophe. An author's skill lies in arranging these scenes in a manner that produces the maximum scenic effect in the natural narrative progression. In the case of B7, you do not need any secondary information, nor do you even need to be aware that it takes place within the same universe and franchise as Five Nights at Freddy's. As the plot progresses, Andrea Wagner develops B7 as a snowball rolling down a hill towards a house, expanding and growing larger and denser as it rolls down the hill. Billy's childhood, family, and home life, followed by the destruction of his body and limbs, are developed in a way that causes maximum emotional impact on the reader, as well as Billy himself. When Billy sees himself in the mirror, that is when the snowball is at its most devastating size, and it is when it finally makes contact with the house. There is already no stopping the force of motion, and the damage now done is consequentially irreparable. The characters are, naturally, men and women who are part of the plot. The main characters of a tragedy, referred to as the hero or heroine, is the most important figure among all the characters. It is true that the tragedy unfolds and surrounds the area around them. Wherever the hero or heroine is present, the tragedy follows and touches the characters around them. Like a plague, almost, it spreads. Most will fall victim to it, and for others, they will simply have to bear witness the misfortune around them. Billy carries the tragic play of the story, and it is through him that he harms the people around him, despite not understanding it due to his mental illness. Billy's father gave up, his mother committed suicide, 
and even Malaya, who believes she found love, abandons all hope because of saving Billy from his delusion. Even the surgeon, a minor character in this tragic tale, plays the common role of a demon, witch, or devil, lavishing in a dire situation, similar to Satan in Macbeth. Thought, meanwhile, is what the character thinks or feels during the development of the plot. Usually the thought is expressed in their speeches and dialogue, but in B7 it is primarily seen in Billy's inner thoughts. When you read the story, you see Billy in a constant state of conforming anything that contradicts his perception through an illogical rationalization. In this way, it is also part of diction, which is the medium of language used to express the character's thoughts and feelings. The artistic element of watching Billy rationalize everything with certain diction choices, such as calling his brain his processors or his heart his power source, is a compelling embellishment. Finally, song and spectacle, which in modern writing are for the most part the same element, is the theatrical effect present on the stage, screen, or in this case, paper. In the case of B7, Billy's surgeries completely altered his body in an irreversible way, and he is in continuous pain from his choices. However, even before that with his other decisions such as sleeping on a steel table or hiding himself away from society, self-inflicted torture in this instant is the spectacle, his life constantly ruinating due to both his and his mother's decisions when it came to confronting his delusion. His physical appearance in particular, where he looks in the mirror and truly comprehends for the first time how he has destroyed his body and life, is the climax of the spectacle. B7 completely comprehends and utilizes every element that makes up a tragedy to perfection. And as traditional in most tragedies, the story ends with our hero succumbing to death as a result of the consequences of his action. The story ends with no questions left and with no matter left unresolved. Just like in real life, which tragedies are designed to mimic, sometimes a story ends as simply as it begins. A broken boy who was never put back together kills himself as he realizes all his attempts to fix what he believed to be wrong with himself only ended up breaking him more. His final resting place? A landfill of rusted cars and appliances. A graveyard for machinations forgotten and left behind. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game that lets you take command of your own team of your favorite Marvel superheroes and villains to take on interdimensional threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse in an action-packed turn-based squad tactic RPG extravaganza. Embark on an extensive campaign, completing challenging missions as you fight your way through the expansive Marvel Universe, collect valuable loot, enhance the powers of your favorite characters, and level up to acquire new gear, unlock formidable attacks and abilities, and customize your characters with costumes inspired by the most infamous storylines. Did that get your attention? As we speak, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating its six-year anniversary. But here's the real kicker. New users signing up through our link and using the promo code MAXPOOL get an exclusive treat. You'll instantly add the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool to your roster, complete with character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, and gear. Also, 
please note that these sponsorships help support the production and the hours we put into creating content for you. So downloading this game, using the link in the description, and giving it a try would help out this podcast immensely. The game is free, and using the code MAXPOOL gets you a ton of free starting loot, so you got nothing but to gain for giving the game a try right now. Thank you once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Before getting on to my review, I did want to go over an aspect that I was curious about. The question of Billy's mental health predicament. Is it factual and accurate? What exactly is he suffering from and what would have been the correct course of action if this scenario were to occur in real life? Now I'm no therapist nor psychologist, but I'm always curious and want to learn. I'll be honest, this story made me curious about the process of healing such a severe mental health condition. You know, one such as a human believing to be a robot. So, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I wanted to look deeper into it. The first thing was defining whether or not Billy was suffering from a delusional disorder or schizophrenia. Both conditions are characterized by the presence of delusions, of which, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, delusions in whatever psychotic illness they are found are defined as fixed beliefs that are not easily amenable to correction, despite proof to the contrary. Schizophrenia is the mental health disorder most strongly associated with psychosis. In fact, delusions and hallucinations are major components of schizophrenia diagnosis. Delusional disorder, on the other hand, centers solely on the delusions themselves, which must be present for a period of at least a month. Generally speaking, delusional disorder occurs when a person has fixed beliefs that cannot be changed despite evidence contradicting them, whereas schizophrenia includes delusions, but is also paired with a loss of functionality. Dr. Alastair Monroe, a leading expert in schizophrenia and delusion, describes the difference as, quote, the astounding thing about delusional disorder is that you don't get the delusion spreading out and interrupting the thought about other things. It's only around the thing, the central delusion, unlike in schizophrenia, where the illness is spread right throughout the person's personality and behavior. End quote. In his research, he states when functional disruptions do occur, they are directly tied to the delusions themselves. For example, a person who believes a co-worker is planning to kill them may quit their job. Considering that Billy, who believes he is a robot, alters his behavior to conform to this delusion, such as walking robotically, choosing to wear and eat food with a muted color, and eventually removing his arms and legs, delusional disorder is most likely the mental condition that Billy suffers from, particularly since he is still capable of eating, driving, and using the internet without assistance. The exact, the exact type of delusional disorder Billy is suffered from is difficult to determine. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, Billy's closest subtype of a delusion would be semantic. A semantic disorder involves a delusional belief that one's body is defective, which does coincide with later surgical changes. The belief, however, came years after the onset of his original symptoms. In any case, we now know delusional disorder is the most likely diagnosis for his mental condition. But what is the best course of treatment? The literature surrounding delusional disorder strongly suggests that when beginning treatment with a person who is delusional, 
Whatever the specific diagnosis, the first concern must be safety. Pretty much what we see at the end of the book is the major concern of going down the rabbit hole of a delusion. If Billy's mother or father or therapist was still in the picture by this time, they would have, obviously, restricted Billy's ability to surgically remove his limbs. Following that, the major next step is building a trusted rapport between a psychologist and the patient, improving social skills, and, in particular for children, supporting cognitive development. In the case of Billy, the parents were right to make the call to make him act more human, but what they both failed to do enough of was prod the foundation of the delusion, targeting emotions and behaviors, and asking questions that challenge the existence of delusions are important. At least in the instance of Billy's delusion, that is. According to the National Library of Medicine's article addressing delusions in women and men with delusional disorder, key points for clinical management, that's a title, most cases of delusional disorder involve more metacognitive practices. This can include enhancing the patient's self-esteem, bolstering resilience, and improving metacognitive skills. But even then, planting the seeds of doubt of the delusion by offering alternative explanations or contradictory, unquestionable facts are key. That said, there is currently insufficient research to make evidence-based recommendations for treatments for children with delusional disorder. While every condition of psychosis is a unique one, typically the average onset of delusional disorder is around the age of 34 to 45. So it wasn't necessarily a terrible decision by the therapist to initially instruct Billy's parents to appease him until he finally let go of his fantasy. And in the first act of a tragedy, the therapist did instruct Billy's mom, on his birthday no less, or creation day, that the original treatment is not working and they need to consider institutionalizing him. Which, and this may be painful to hear, is also not an unfair treatment to do. With cognitive behavioral therapy, patients show a significant reduction in the intensity of the delusional conviction, in their effect associated with their delusion, and in the frequency of behaviors associated with their delusion. A portion of that therapy may involve taking medication that alters one's mental state, and thus is best taken in a controlled environment for safety reasons. Still, I think I should reinforce that I am no psychologist nor therapist, and I have by no means the clout or money to get in contact with a psychologist or therapist to ask if they can take time out of their busy days helping people struggle with living their lives if they can diagnose a treatment for a fictional character in a finite phrase novella. Thus, I'll put most of my sources in the description if you are curious as to how to learn more about this and as well as if you're curious to read the literature surrounding it. It was a fascinating read, and while this is maybe not what people expected from the series, I do like looking into the more realistic elements. There's nothing wrong about learning more about the real life through fiction, is there? Now that the real world medicine and therapy are out of the way, what are my final thoughts on B7? Well, I think my opinion stays the same. It is a 10 out of 10 short story. It is a great use of experimenting with the FNAF world to tell stories you wouldn't expect from it. The characters are so three-dimensional. Without any form of hokey or current age dialogue to distract from such a relatable and emotional sympathetic tragedy. The plot is outstanding. It 
progresses in a very natural way that ensures when a shocking moment occurs that it is emotionally impactful as possible. A big reason for why it's so fantastically well written comes in its utilization of third person limited. Having Billy be the primary character point of view, giving you the ability to see in his mind and see it firsthand interpret every single thing to be rational in his delusion that he's an animatronic is so fascinating. Especially in his lack of social skills, in particular with his girlfriend Malaya, which is such a unique way to show how enable he is to understand and respond accordingly to social conditions due to his upbringing. I love the fact that this story takes place in the FNAF world, but it barely has anything to do with either Security Breach or what we consider the core plot. It truly is a side story that succeeds in making the world feel more real by involving such down-to-earth and small-scale novellas, but do so in a way that still makes it feel part of the universe rather than being its own thing with a similar name, a trap that many Fazbear Fright stories unfortunately fall into. As a fan of the series, I also love how the story took place in the late 80s. It was cool to see Freddy Fazbear's Pizza again back when they were a successful brand before Security Breach, even if it was just a small commercial. Not to mention, once Billy gets into his adult age, Fazbear Entertainment is never brought up again, a clever way of still tying it into the main series lore as the company would have been bankrupt once Billy became a young adult. I also love the clear inspiration the story takes from the fans. The fact that the story in its official description was clearly based on the abundant theories of cyborg humans and children that appeared ever since the Silver Eye trilogies brought the concept up is hilarious. I mean, to be fair to the fan base, the fault is still primarily on Scott Cawthon and Kira for writing that into FNAF lore, but it's nice to see such a premise be simultaneously be made fun of but still twisted and utilized to tell such a tragic tale. The story can also be served as a cautionary tale to the fanbase as a whole, I feel like, especially to those of a younger age. There's nothing wrong with being part of a fandom or to be in love with an art form or an artist, but it is also important to make sure it doesn't consume you as well. Just because you are fascinated by the world and its stories does not mean you should become the entire does not mean you should make it become the entire entity of your character. Or maybe I'm looking too deep into that. Who knows? All in all, if you ever want to introduce someone to the world of FNAF in a book form, but feel like the robots and supernatural is a turnoff for them, I say introduce them to B7. It's a short read, but it's one you won't be able to put down once you start. And I think that wraps it up for today's episode. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. Your support means the world to us here, and we cannot thank you all enough for it. Next time on Shadow Scrying, I believe we should start the process of covering novellas we have already gone through on our main show. I know some of you have never read the Tales books, either because you wish to avoid spoilers or are waiting for an Into the Night episode on them, so let's focus on the ones we have covered on the main show and look at the deeper implications, science, and writing techniques used in those. On the next episode of Shadow Scrying, we are going to be covering Coming Home, the story of Susie, the MCI victim, who will go on to possess Chica the Chicken, and how her family continue to live on after her death. 
It has always been one of my favorite stories for how well they were able to characterize grief and explore an area of the lore we always knew existed, but were never shown. Be sure to check out our Twitter for any and all information for all upcoming episodes, and be sure to visit our BMAC page or merch store if you'd like to help and support the show. If you enjoyed the show and want to support it whilst getting some awesome finance merch, we're currently running a promotion on the store. Put HOLIDAYS in all caps at checkout to get 15% off your entire order. Link will be in the description. Once again, I have been your host Nick, and thank you all for listening. Have a good night. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.